Hello and welcome to the Disney Guides Uncensored. My name is Andrew DeFusco and this is episode 5, recorded on April 22nd, 2019. On this week's episode, we discuss the reopening of a friendly attraction, a delay of a major new ride, and some changes coming to a fan-favorite show. In our main segment this week, we celebrate Earth Day by discussing Walt Disney World's conservation. And lastly, the Random House of Mouse takes a look at some of Disney's greatest films about conservation, as well as some answers for some fan mail. So guys, first thing I wanted to say is um, we had an awesome weekend. Hope everyone had a great Easter. Um, and the Disney guys are happy to announce that we have now over 100 Facebook members um, and well over 100 listens for our first episode. Um, we have now expanded to technically an international podcast um, we're in over four continents, five countries, and I'm pumped. Uh, the feedback we've already been receiving is awesome. Um, I just want to say thank you so much to everybody that's listening and making part of it. But joining me on tonight, we also have uh, Jason. How you been? I'm all right. Just come off of the good Easter weekend, and we're ready to go. Awesome. Um, and Bob, how about you? Yeah, Drew, like you said, I, I spent Sunday with you yesterday uh, for Easter. It was a great time. You were a gracious, gracious host. And again, guys, thank you for uh, for for everything you've done. You got, like Andrew said, Israel, Great Britain, Canada. Uh, it, it means the world to us that we are worldwide. Thank you very much for that support. Just a couple of fact checks, guys, from last week, and for you guys, the listeners, just to prove that we are constantly trying to upgrade the the presentation and experience you have. We're willing to listen to our own stuff, play it back, make sure we got facts right. I misspoke. Uh, Pluto's only words were actually kiss me, not I love you. They were still to Mickey Mouse in the 1931 short, The Moose Hunt. It's a rather surreal moment. They're out hunting. He shoots into the to the glades. Pluto fakes his death, starts barking. It's, it's haywire. It's a good episode. It's a fun little short, though. And uh, Jason, I think a couple of times we had mentioned Amblin. Uh, we were right that Amblin did produce uh, Roger Rabbit. They did not, however, produce Nightmare Before Christmas. That was the touchstone arm of the Disney company that uh, produced Nightmare Before Christmas. Just a couple things from last week that we wanted to make sure that we got right for you guys. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, agreed, Bob. We always want to make sure we uh, have our facts right. And we all make mistakes here and there, so uh, we're willing to admit that. Um, so we did a, a really interesting special episode for you guys tonight. I'm excited. We're all excited. I got my Disney Guys t-shirt on. And we're here to talk to you a little bit about conservation and Earth Day. So let's start off with the rapid fire news. So, Magic Kingdom ticket and transportation is undergoing construction as well as Epcot. We mentioned this, but it's really happening at pretty much all the parks, save for Animal Kingdom. There's not a whole lot that can be done there. But they're all undergoing a little bit of construction concerning the bus tra and transit system. So, it's it, it ends up causing a big mess, but just deal with it. Pardon the mess while they get everything taken care of. The Otter Grotto, which was down for almost a year, has finally completed their refurb at Animal Kingdom and has reopened. Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, has the opening has been delayed until spring of 2020, almost a full year after it was originally scheduled to open. 
Disneyland will be getting a modified clone scheduled to open in 2022. Yeah, Jay, it's interesting. I didn't see anything about the Disneyland location. Rumors are out there that Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin could be going away. Uh, there are heavy rumors, actually, that in that same time frame, Toontown itself will be getting a renovation out in Disneyland. So something to keep your eye on for all you West Coasters. All right, so the Rivers of Light Animal Kingdom will be getting changes this May. It'll be known as the Rivers of Light. We are we are one and will feature clips from Disney nature films and some of the so- songs from the Disney canon. The next film in the Disney a- nature series will be put to Disney Plus exclusively called Dolphin Reef and narrated by Natalie Portman. Yeah, Jay, it's interesting. That actually got a release last Earth Day in Europe under the title of Blue. Uh, Disney did pull it from American theaters before it was released. So uh, it'll be fun to see, though. I'm actually, I think we had spoken offline about the Disney Plus series, getting a lot of original content and even some stuff that maybe Disney didn't feel strongly about to release into theaters. And maybe it gives some original content and and some otherwise stuff that wouldn't get the eyeballs a chance to shine and give them a something new to build on instead of all the sequels we've been getting lately. Yeah, I'm excited for that too, Bob. I'm excited to see what Disney Plus can do, exactly like you said, the resurrection of things that maybe never would have been without this new feature or a new service. Uh, And especially the Disney nature films. I mean, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, it's some really really cool films if you've never had a chance to watch any of them. Yeah. Uh, so, so with that being said, there's not a ton of news this week, which is fine because we have a ton of other content we want to bring you to you. So let's move over to the topic of the week. So this week we want to talk about, uh, we kind of broke it down into three mini topics, um, which the first one is going to be Walt Disney World Conservation, which I'll talk to you a little bit about. The next one is going to be Conservation Media, which Bubba will talk to you a little bit about. And the last one for Jason is going to talk about conservation in the parks. So, again, this week we're really focusing on Walt Disney World as a whole and their compassion um, and dedication to conservation as a whole, really. So, if you go up, uh, Walt Disney World has a great website, actually, on the whole thing talking talking about conservation and there's a ton of info there um they release probably every six months or so every maybe even every quarter about what they're doing a report of what's going on and if you look at their mission statement i'm going to read it to you because it's, it's kind of right to the point no reason to beat around the bush there so at disney our commitment to environmental stewardship focuses on using resources wisely as we operate and grow our business we also provide philanthropic grants and expertise to save wildlife, inspire action, and protect the planet. Um, So very strong statement there. Um, And again, they're very passionate about everything they do with conservation. So another big thing that I want to talk about. um, So Disney property, um, kind of a long time ago, kind of made this unwritten rule that, well, not really unwritten, but um, they're going to dedicate one third of all of their property that they own to conservation. Um, so that's why a lot of times when they go out and they acquire new land, people get excited. You see forums start blowing up. Oh, they're going to build that fifth part. They just bought, you know, 200 acres. No, not necessarily true because every time they, they build something new, that means they need to keep that one third percentage, right? So they build something new on new land. 
that means they have to make sure they add that land into conservation land somewhere. So it's kind of a balance they have to keep. Um, yeah, Andrew, I think I think it's like it's it's a rolling basis. So it, it per space, like you're saying, it a third of it is designated. So it's actually something. It's I don't want to say it's fairly common knowledge, but I feel like it should be more well known that they are doing, especially that aspect of it, because people constantly gripe, oh, it's too big, oh, it's this, yep. oh, it's it's over overbuilt. And, and really, it, we can get into the numbers, but how much of the land is still undeveloped? And, and that's, that's oh, yeah. the amazing thing about Disney down there. It really is. So. And, and that's why people say, well, they're so spaced apart, and why? Why can't they all be right on top of each other? Well, that's why, because... You gotta have that that land separated each other. Yeah, and they bit. built it on a Florida swamp, so you know there's a lot of <laughs> there's, there's a lot of footings to be done. So. so, so, so to go along with the mission statement that Disney has, there's a few other things that they go and they're trying to work off of every day. And every year they make new goals, just like any business would do. So one thing I want to talk about is they they do is uh, reducing emissions. And if you don't really know what that is, it's it's pretty much the production or discharge of anything, typically gas, radiation, things along that line. Um, it could be, you know, the fumes from your car, air pollution, um, whatever it might be. So in 2018, they reduced their net emissions by 44%. Um, and going to 2020, their goal is 50%. And some of the things that they're doing with that is, you know, introducing the Skyliner, for example. So that will reduce emissions by getting some buses, hopefully, off the road or, or using alternate ways that are more, you know, green, so call it. Uh, and the other things they're doing is they're using a lot of organic paint. Uh, so I know they did that with Tower of Terror. Um, there's a few other big ones they've done, um, and it really helps reduce that air pollution, so-called, into the atmosphere. Uh, another one that they really focus on is waste diversion. So in 2018, they diverted 54% from landfills and incinerators. So essentially that means 50% of all the waste um, – was recycled of some form um, or eliminated somehow. Um, so that, that's pretty fascinating fact when you think about everything that Disney has to offer in the parks and resorts. Oh, yeah, Drew, you're absolutely right. And, and you go there, and I think all three of us at one point or another have said, man, it's very crowded here, but where's all the trash? And, and again, they have a pretty sophisticated system underneath the Magic Kingdom for trash and waste management. Yep. But, but for them to have an over 50% recycling rate. That That's crazy high to me. I don't yep. know many other large corporation numbers. I honestly don't, but that seems high. I'd have to do more research. That seems like a great number, though, that they're getting that much of, of the waste recycled. And that, you know what, Bob? You just hit something that made me spark something. But if you think about every time you've ever gone to Disney and think about something like that, right? You know, I hate to say it, you go to a fast food place, how many times you just see a guy emptying a trash can and spilling crap all over the floor? Disney does such an amazing job at hiding those things. Mm -hmm. You go to Disney, you don't even notice that stuff's happening. You don't even yeah. think about it. But think about right. what they're doing and how many thousands and thousands of people are going through that park, yet you don't see any of that happening. Yeah. It, it's amazing, yet, yet it's always clean, right? So it's, it's cool. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a little something that Disney himself had actually had a very close hand in when he was creating the parks. If initially when he opened everything up, he noticed that, you know, he had his tra the trash cans placed and everything. And he noticed that anywhere in the parks, no matter where they, anybody was at, that no one would go more than about 10 steps before they would just drop the trash if they didn't see a trash can. 
So he made sure that you didn't have to go any more than about 10 steps, and there's a trash can almost anywhere in the park. That's cool. Well, that's really cool. That's that's great stuff. So um, so the next one, a little bit I want to talk about is water conservation. So in 2018, they reduced port uh, potable water consumption by 5.8%. Um, and you ask really, what is what does that mean? Um, it means you can install some of those low flow faucets. You have those ones that have the automatic shutoffs that people hate because they're sitting there. I know me, right? Why isn't the water coming out? Why isn't the soap dispensing? Um, but <laughs> <laughs> there's reasons we have those. It's because you have those idiots that don't turn off the damn faucets or they right. hit the soap dispenser 30 times and you don't need that much soap. Um, Seems like we struck a nerve with Andrew on this one, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, some other things that they introduced were microfiber materials. So I even saw them talking about like microfiber mops. Uh, so that what that does is it requires you to need less water to do the same job. Um, or, you know, when you're cleaning counters and stuff like that, you use the microfiber, you don't need as much water to get the job done. Um, and the last one is irrigation evaluation. So, well, that's a tongue twister if you say that, but... Um, <laughs> What I mean by that is they'll, they'll actually go an analysis. As you walk through Disney, you'll see right, it's it's Florida heat, right? So there's going to be sprinkler and irrigation systems everywhere. They'll go in there and they'll see the best ways to get the same results by minimizing the irrigation process or needs. Um, so they they work their wonders. Again, we have Imagineers here. They figure it out. Then um, the next one I want to talk about is something fairly new, and it is a Mickey-shaped solar farm. So this is an actual huge solar farm, of course, in the shape of a Mickey head, and it's 270 acres solar facility. So to put that in perspective, it is about the size of two magic kingdoms, not one, two. Um, it's 518,000 solar panels. And what that means is it's enough power to essentially give electricity to, to 10,000 homes for a year. Um, or the equivalent to 25% of all of Walt Disney World, um, which is which is just a huge amount, right? 25%. Um, crazy. Um, what also they did was, back to that conservation thing, they wanted to make sure that two-thirds of this facility is a pollinator-friendly. It also features an experimental test garden to improve research of the area. So what that means is they're going to have butterflies, bees, flowers, a full pollination place that I tell you right now, me and Bubba would not want to be anywhere near with our allergies. No, certainly um, not. <laughs> but pretty cool that they thought about that. They're not just creating, that instead of just clearing the land and putting these, you know, 518,000, half a million solar panels, they said, well, how do we keep this still, you know, even further conservation? So that, that was really cool. Um, you know, they actually, probably... Uh tested this at the land pavilion in epcot uh, you, oh boy oh boy sure we can't go this whole episode without talking about it right no no i don't think that'll be the only reference to the land either tonight well bub wanted to play that as our intro song which i did not allow it's um, a great song but, um, to the land. anyways um, however, this wasn't their first solar farm. They also have a smaller 22-acre one. I'd say small. 22 acres is not small. Um, <laughs> Nothing to sneeze at. But, um, Compared to the 270, over... it's small, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that one's over near Epcot. So um, another thing is in 2017, they, they made a big focus and push on reducing single-use plastics. So they eliminated 175 million straws 
13 million stirrers, which, you know what, that, that frames my dearest because I never even understood what the point of a stirrer was. I mean, great. You pour coffee, you put a little sugar in, you put some cream in. It, it, it just mixes itself. You don't need a stirrer. Oh, whole nother issue. Um, they <laughs> reduced um, in-room plastics by 80%. I don't even know what that means, but that's a huge number. All right, so what they did there is they they took these single-use conditioners and soaps and shampoos and they replaced it with one bottle that they pour into and it's a dispenser like you'd see oh, in a public right. restroom. That's, a, that's I think, where most of that 80% was gained. Agreed. Probably, yep. And I believe they changed the coffee cups they gave you from plastic to glass. But I yes. think, that, again, that's where they picked up most of the 80%. Agreed with the with the reusable or the disposable rather um, shampoo and conditioner. Oh, you had it right. The, the the reusable is what they went to. Yep. Yes. Yep. Um, the next thing they did was they made a big push to reduce plastic shopping bags. And one way they do this is they they give you the option to buy those reusable bags that you know everyone uses for the grocery store. Let, let's put the emphasis on buy the bag. Yeah, John. Buy. Said it. But I'll tell you what, they make them affordable. They make them one or two dollars, and everyone's a sucker, and everyone comes home with five bags that they probably didn't need, and they put up in their cupboard. Oh, I'll use these for the grocery shopping. No, let's be honest. We all forget those bags back at home when we go to the grocery store. I disagree. I actually keep three in my in my vehicle, and my wife Megan keeps three or four in his car in her car. So whenever we're uh, whenever we're out, we have a we have some in the car with us. Yeah, but then when you take them out because you get groceries in them. You got to remember to put them back. Yeah, we put them at the front door when we leave. We bring them in the car the next morning. It's, I mean, it's not that hard of a concept. Right? Maybe I need to learn your little process maybe, a little bit. Maybe better. you need to be more into conservation. I am. <laughs> I am. Uh, so the last one here is they completely remove styrofoam cups. So yeah, it took them this long to do that, but okay. I, I and I think actually I didn't list this one, but I believe uh, they got rid of a lot of, if not all, lids on all those type of plastic cups. There's no yeah, more. Yeah, there's lids. no lids in Animal Kingdom. For, yes. for, uh, for many reasons, but yep. there are no... Andrew, I do want to point out, though, while all of this was great in 2017, they had no problem taking sponsorship money for Splash Mountain from Ziploc and then giving you <laughs> a reusable Ziploc bag at Splash Mountain to keep your valuables in while you rode the ride. I just... And again, it's not them talking out of both <laughs> sides of their mouth, but it, I mean, it's kind of like... A little disingenuous when you hey. do all of this, and then you give me a Ziploc bag when I ride one of your rides. Hey, you're gonna go where the money is, right? I guess. Um, so <laughs> the next, the next section I want to talk about is the Disney Conservation Fund, and I won't go too long into it because I did spend a whole episode, and to be honest, it's a little dry. Um, but, however, what it was was it was inspired by Walt Disney Conservation Legacy, and it was established on Earth Day, 1995. Um, to help protect wildlife, wild places around the world. So essentially, it protects six continents, all five oceans, and more than half the countries, which is about 115 countries in the world. Uh, and what it is, it's, it's, it, it, it awarded more than $70 million in grants, supporting efforts to save wildlife, inspire actions, and protect the planet. Uh, so essentially what this, this big fund is, is it's, it's Disney wanted to give back to conservation. So they go out there and they look at these groups of people, uh, these different societies, and they say, how can I give these people money to help benefit? Um, so they help protect more than 400 species around the world. Um, 
And it's just the cool thing that Disney does to kind of give back to the environment. Um, and, and again, it's all over the world. It's a pretty cool thing. So again, I could go in on and on about this and, and how they, they, they award people and honor people. Uh, but I really didn't want to get into too much details. The, right. the end of the so, day, if you, one takeaway is is that they awarded over $70 million in grants to help support these causes. So you do know the irony of the Earth Day 1995 date, though. What, the, what else they were celebrating? Share some knowledge on me, bub. That is the day that they announced they were going to build Animal Kingdom. And three, three years later, Animal Kingdom was completed. So that was the announcement uh, to go hand-in-hand hand with the with the conservation program that they established, which I think we'll get into in a little bit, that Animal Kingdom kind of acts as the uh, hub of the conservation effort at, at the facility, at the parks. Oh, yeah. And um, so when they announced the park in 1995 to open three years later, they did announce the, the beginning of this, of this conservation fund. So uh, just a little fact for you guys, and I, I did just actually check that to make sure so I don't have to go back next week and tell you I was wrong. <laughs> but um that's gonna lead us into a next topic bub so why don't you try to take us away here with your with your stuff oh yeah the disney conservation in the media um we've talked about the disney nature films we're gonna go back to the true life adventure series uh that was walt's first foray into his passion about conservation and andrew i think has done a great job of explaining what conservation means to the company as a whole so I don't want to crush you with numbers and bore you to the tales. Give you a what quick are you, what are you trying to say, Bob? Is that is that what I just No, did? I think no no, I think <laughs> you covered a lot of basics for what me and Jay or Jason and myself are going to talk about. Yeah. So we can kind of just get into more detailed aspects instead of giving you a rundown of oh they donated seventy million dollars to this person and they do this with solar energy. That's not what me and Jay are here to do tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so they actually did release fourteen feature length or short form documentaries from nineteen forty eight to nineteen sixty. Eight of them won Academy Awards. That's a pretty good ratio. That's, that's a astounding. lot. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of film to come out in twelve years. Because these aren't easy to make, um, but it, it, it's it is what it is. So, um, so, so essentially, it was Planet Earth before Planet Earth. It was, it, <laughs> and and in fact, it, Adventureland's initial name at the parks was the True Life Adventureland. Mm -hmm. uh, they did change it to just Adventureland because I, I think the True Life Adventureland, it, when they made Disneyland, it was gonna the Jungle Cruise was going to have actual animals. They realized that wasn't feasible, so it, they kind of had to change it a little bit. Um, the series did inspire a comic book series that was distributed between 1955 and 1971. As it was a daily comic strip, uh, and it was drawn by artist George Wheeler. He's done some other stuff. He was picked out of the animation department specifically by Walt to do this. Uh, the, the issue they ran into with these comics, if you can find them now, is they are super, super accurate and anatomically correct. It's not cartoon or, or, or you know, anthropomorphized in any way whatsoever. It is an elephant walking through the savanna. They're remarkable pieces of, of art, if you can find them. There's some floating around on eBay for more money than I have to spend on them. Um, some standouts of the early uh, features, for me anyway, were a Seal Island and the Vanishing Prairie. Um, there, there too, you can look them up. There's a collection of DVDs out there called the True Life Adventure Series DVDs. It does have all of them. 
Um, I do wonder, though, just to give you an idea, maybe you'll see them on Disney Plus, the streaming service. So I'd wait to buy them because they're not cheap on the uh, aftermarket. But those two in particular, again, Seal Island and The Vanishing Prairie were really, really well done. There's, there's some others about, um, about the white wilderness in, in uh, Canada featuring wolves and stuff that you get into. Very good. Um, but that brings us up to 2008. So from 1960 to 2008, I don't want to say they lost their way, but they didn't do a ton in media with conservation. Uh, here and there, they did have a short once in a while about it. They did do some educational stuff with schools between that time with some of the characters, but, but really for media purposes from 1960 right through 2008, nothing, um, brings us, they created Disney nature. Um, it, it really has brought us some inspired works. I know we've talked about it before that there's a new show coming to Epcot. Andrew, awesome planet. It's called Andrew is, you know, well, it's planet earth. I'm a junkie for this stuff. I love documentaries about nature it's places I'm probably never going to go, so it's fascinating to me to see animals in there. Well, nat- well, let me say something, Bob. So, so the reason why I'm against it, right, is it's it's not that I'm against the film. Like you said, Disney Nature Series is a very, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but it, they, they do a phenomenal job. They're well-done documentaries. My, my problem is is when I go to a park, and I get it, maybe it's not for me, maybe I'm, I'm being selfish, I don't want to go watch that film in Epcot. I don't want to go watch the Pixar shorts in Epcot that's been there for God knows how long. I, I, I want to watch those when I want to watch those in my home. When I'm in Disney World, I want to be doing more interactive experiences. That, that, that's my problem with having that there. So, Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you can, you can agree to disagree all you want. It's still going in. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll close within two or three years because no one will go. And that makes sense to me. Um, so this was actually, this arm of the studio was created after March of the Penguins uh, was released. So uh, Bob Iger, again, the CEO we had mentioned uh, last week, reached out to Jean-Francois Camilleri. Uh, he was the head of Bienavista International France. And he had actually secured the French rights to March of the Penguins. And Bob Iger had felt that really that film showed that they could create their own stuff. And Bob Iger didn't have the foresight to get the distribution rights in this country. So it was kind of, I don't want to say in hindsight that they created this or, or they created Disney nature out of spite because they blew it with March of the Penguins. Uh, but it was kind of built out of spite and it was kind of built in hindsight after the success of March of the Penguins. So they really weren't, on the cutting edge of this, they were more reactionary than proactive when it came to recreating the Disney nature arm of the department. Um, Camilleri led the way. Um, they signed a multi-film production deal uh, with nature doc extraordinaire, Alistair Fothergill. Uh, he, again, I hate to keep referencing it, he's the genius behind the BBC nine-part epic, Planet Earth. Uh, I, Andrew, I know when that first came out, we, we were playing soccer on Sunday nights, and we would be recording or catching the replay of planet earth. We would say, Oh, we got to get home. It's the, pr- <laughs> the plane. We would have to get home to watch it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I would say for me, the two best from this era have to be crimson wing mystery of the flamingos and oceans. Again, I'm a sucker for anything ocean related. 
Um, and I, I don't know why, because I have a crippling fear of birds, but there's something majestic about Crimson Wing, Mystery of the Flamingos. They're really, really well done. Again, uh, Disney Nature releases these pretty much every year, right around Earth Day. And this year, the latest uh, latest came out last week, um, is a bit apropos because it's uh, it's called Penguins. So here we are, you know, 10 years later, and we're going back to how it all started with, they were, you know, March of the Penguins to Penguins Now. Um, so, and just, so let me, uh, let yep. me ask you this, Bob. So, so mm-hmm. I remember back in the day, me and you actually went to some of these in the theater. And if yeah, I remember did. correctly, I think we saw African cats together. African cats, I think and we I saw, saw chimpanzee. I mean, maybe, I saw oceans. I saw oceans. Maybe the bear the one. I know that. What was the bear one? It was called Bears. Bears. So, yeah. My, 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 original my, titles. My point. <laughs> my point. <laughs> my point. Question is, is and, and not to put you on the spot, so maybe you don't have the answer, and that's fine. But what's the what's the general reception of these? I mean, what's what's the box office have to say? All right, so, so again, we had this conversation offline about Father Gill maybe using some of his stuff from BBC that he's already recorded and, and kind of splicing it in to the new the new films. But, but let's um, put aside the quality. I think we all agree they're fascinating, they're well produced, they're good production valued films. But what yeah, if, they are. What's 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 money what's the money say? What what do the people say? Are they making money? It, it's again, I It's easy to say are they making money? I will tell you that Earth uh grossed $32,000. Um, but Disney doesn't necessarily release budgets for all of their films. So that's where we're going to run into saying if they made any money. Real quickly, uh, they've totaled about $150 million in box office receipts total for the eight films that were released in America. Uh, real quick, Earth made $32 million. Chimpanzee made about $29 million. Oceans made about twenty. Bears made about eighteen. Uh, Monkey Kingdom made about seventeen. African Cats, 15, Born in China, 13. You're seeing, it really fluctuates based on topic. I know Penguins this past yeah. week did about $3.5 million in its opening week. Again, portions of the proceeds to opening weeks do go uh, to various charities that really have to do with the topic. So when Oceans was released, uh, X, X percentage uh, of the $6 million was given to uh, oceanographic studies and 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 conservation. So, uh, again, real quick, are they making money? I, I don't know, but I don't know how much they honestly are are putting into this either. No, I, and, I, and I, I, agree. I don't know. Like I don't know how much it costs to make a nature documentary. Uh, is it a few hundred thousand uh, I know dollars? I was looking at the information on chimpanzee. It took. It said that it was running at a budget of about five million, and it made twenty eight. So, I mean, right, they're making money off of it, but where right, that right. money's going is probably right back into ne- the next na- right. nature film. I, I guess. I guess and my Jay, point I think, was. I think the key thing here for you guys, for well, I don't know, Andrew or Jay, for you guys to understand, but necessarily people understand. I don't know that they're doing this. To make money, and I don't want to think. Right. I don't want to tell you that this company is altruistic in any way because they'll charge you for anything they can. Oh yeah, but but the, the purpose of the Disney Nature series is to educate. It really is, and that's that's why when you say to me, "Oh, Awesome Planet," I have no interest in going to see that, and, and I completely understand where you're coming from. 
I really, really do. But I, I, I can't get the, I keep getting the sense that as a society, this isn't, this isn't a shot at you, Andrew, but as a society, we're so concerned about the, the big flashy thing that we stop and forget sometimes that there's more to it than, than just more to life than just the, 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 the cookie or, 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 or if you're a smoker, you know, that, that last drag of a cigarette, there's more, right? No, but, but there's more to life. I mean, these are creatures that can't speak for themselves. And if you go see Disney nature's films and you see something that moves you, maybe, and I'm not going to say you're going to become an activist by watching bears. Okay. You're not going to, but it makes you more aware. I watched a documentary on shark finning over in Asia. And let me tell you this. Okay. Those people, if they're ever, if people are caught shark finning and that, and that real quick, not to be gruesome here not to go on a squirrel moment. Okay. You defin a shark and throw the shark back in the water. Oh, that, that's brutal. And, and, and brutal doesn't even do it. Brutal doesn't even do that justice. So I think if you're educating people, and again, this is all about conservation. This is a, this is a conversation on conservation. If, if a hundred people go to this movie and say, Hey man, we can change some things and, and we can better life for people that, for things that can't speak for themselves, that I don't think Disney's worried about the bottom line. I, I don't know that they're concerned about the dollar as much as they are about. No, I, I agree. I, I, I about think the, educating. And I think the reason I asked was, right? So we're on the 11 year mark of this Disney nature franchise, let's call yep. it, right? Yeah. You know, how many more years do we think they really have left before they say, all right, guys, we had fun. We had a good run. We did a lot of education out there. Um, we kind of hit all the big ones. What, you know, the answer is simple, Andrew, you know, they now have a streaming service. They have to support with original content. I don't think Disney nature is going anywhere. It may become exclusive to Disney plus, and maybe they're going to see how the dolphins one does to see how that plays. But I mean, they have that streaming service now. And if, if Jason, if they're making them 5 million bucks on, I don't want to say on the cheap, but if, if they're in, if they're just recycling the money through, I don't see them going anywhere with the Disney nature arm. Right. I really don't. No, valid point. I thought it was a good conversation. I, you know, but I, I wanted to see what your take was on that. But yeah. All right. Uh, you have anything else you want to add there, Bob, on the media, or should we move on? No, I think we're gonna go to Real House and Mouse with some other media later on. So I, I think we'll let Jason go from here with the uh, parks. All right, Jason, lead us lead us away. We're going to start in the one park that does more than anything, Animal Kingdom. So one of the they have several rides that, in general, just the ride itself talks a lot about conservation and and changing the way we do things in general. So the first one we're going to talk about is the Kali River Rapids, one of my favorites, actually. As you're going through the queue, you hear all about deforestation and what it's doing to this planet. And at the same time, what they're trying to tell you is, yes, we do need to go out there and 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 further ourselves, but at the same time, we got to make sure and worry about what it's doing to the planet in general. The other next place we're going to talk about is the conservation station. It's a world class veterinary hospital. In fact, I remember the last time I was there, which, yes, I know it's been a while. It's been at least five years since I've been there. It's not my favorite park, but. When we did crazy. There, they were That's actually crazy. They were, 
They were performing surgery on a turtle there. It was really interesting to see. I don't recall exactly what was going on, but I do know that they were doing surgery on a turtle. It was. It, it's really cool to see that they actually let you see some of this stuff. I'm sure if it's too invasive, they're not going to let you see all of it. But, I mean, just seeing little small stuff here and there that they do to help out is really cool. Yeah, but now, th- I think we talked about this a, a week or two ago. Now, the conservation station is is the, the one that's... Um, Currently closed. Um, right. yep. It is opening. What was the date? This summer, I believe. I and believe they're trying, so. to, they're trying to re uh, reimagine it a little bit as the Lion King theme, and that's the one where you take the little train ride up there. There's a playground. There's a. Oh, yep. It's not a little train ride. That's a long train <laughs> ride. I mean, but um, it, it's and something it's gonna have that a, a special done. meal too, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, they're gonna, yeah, they're going to do the. Yep, they're going to do the dinner party to there but, yep. um i do i do highly recommend this if this is something you have never done to spend the hour um to take the train right up there and walk around for a half hour um it, it is a cool thing and like jason said you never know what type of experience you'll have to, to see um worst case there's some really educational pieces there and and i think it's a cool place to go um again you're in disney you know i find every time i go to disney my one thing i try to do is always go see something that you've never seen before um, and if you always try to do that, you always keep expanding your things. Um, so that's something I always try to do myself. Yeah, that, that, that veterinary hospital, real quick, is a world-class facility. When we say that conservation station was closed, we don't want you to, to misinterpret that as the veterinary hospital was closed. The veterinary hospital has always been operational. You just couldn't get There was no access to it the last few months because um, they were redoing conservation station around it, like Andrew said, and we've talked about in the past episodes uh, to the 25th anniversary of the animated version of Lion King is this year. So they're going to have uh, what amounts to uh, markers around the area with different animals, from the, with different characters from Lion King explaining certain things. But again, it's a little petting zoo. It's, it's a, it is a world-class facility without the attraction. If it was only the veterinary hospital, it's a world-class facility. It, again, Andrew, you hit it on the head. Please get out there and check it out. It, it's a great Great little attraction they have there. Agreed. Next on the list is going to be the Kilimanjaro Safari, where you're actually riding around in a Jeep looking at all the different animals. The ride, the the one thing, the overarching story they're really trying to talk about here is anti-poaching, which really happens a lot in Africa, especially to the elephants with the, the ivory tusks and such and the rhinos with their horns. This is something that they're really passionate about, and they talk a lot about on the Kilimanjaro Safari. Yep. Yeah, and that, that yeah. safari is so much more than than it looks to be the eye, right? I mean, they oh, really, yeah, definitely. They really create an environment for the, the animals to make them feel comfortable. And, and like we said, not that I did you know, <laughs> the typical zoos and things, but this this really helps the animals. And and like Jason you said, they, they're into the breeding um and they try to reintroduce these injured animals back into an environment that they feel comfortable in rather than nurturing them in a cage um, where it can really get hostile. So um, that safari is so much more yeah. than just an attraction and I just mean, a ride. It, it guys, really is. Guys, you remember when they tried to Disneyfy it, though. Like they, When this ride first <laughs> opened, they had the animatronic Little Red and you were chasing poachers through the, poachers yep. through the savanna. It is a much, much better... And, and much more subtle attraction in its current state than it was when you were chasing these fake poachers. They were literally look like rejects from Pirates of the Caribbean standing <laughs> yep. outside a broke-down Jeep 
that was probably taken from Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular with two elephants that didn't make it onto the Jungle Cruise. It was terrible. It was pretty bad. But again, it's now, though, a little more subtle, a little more informative, and dare I say a little more educational, and certainly more enjoyable. Absolutely. The next ride we're going to talk about is is A Bug's Life. It's tough to be a bug. It talks about the benefits of certain insects, particularly bees in the ecosystem, and what they actually do to help plants and and other wild uh, fauna grow throughout the the world. They do quite a bit in terms of pollination. Yeah, I mean, Jay, I, it, listen, I, it's tough to be a bug. Not on my list of must-dos. If you've never done it, <laughs> give it a shot. But not on my list of things that I have to see, despite the fact there's a remarkable hopper animatronic by the way, in this attraction. <laughs> but but uh. again, it does um, it does do a great job of explaining that maybe not all insects are bad. You know? Not maybe not all insects. I mean wasps and hornets, I mean they they probably serve no purpose to terrorize people, yeah. but but honeybees and even spiders and, and dare I say this, you know, scorpions and even some snakes, they they do a great job with rodent uh, with rodent management and stuff. I there's a lot that you should thank insects for. Next time you're on the bus and a bee sitting next to you, give them a little tip of the cap and say, "Hey, thanks for everything." I will not be doing that. That's uh, fair enough. <laughs> we might be able to do it next time we go, but the last time we went, my youngest, who is absolutely terrified of spiders, had quite wow. the experience because there's a point in time during the the show where the lights drop. And they drop some large spiders from the ceiling. They're nowhere near where you are, but they kind of spotlight it. And she was at, she wasn't having any of it. We had yeah. to kind of rush out. Yeah, it's 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 really not a kid friendly attraction. No, and that's guys, it, it is pretty intense. I was talking about it is a pretty intense little it, attraction. It's very intense. I, I it runs I, about eight minutes, I think. It's a pretty intense little show. I wouldn't even recommend bringing my kids on there. I mean, there's just there's yeah, no yeah no I don't, yeah I don't think they would. Uh, I mean, I know my kids wouldn't. Would not be fans of it, so. Yep. All right, moving on to Epcot. We're going to the Living Seas. During the BP oil spill, cast members brought 68 sea turtles to rehabilitate at specifically converted rehab center on their site there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've talked about Living Seas at at length on this show at various times and, and how big this aquarium is i mean that that's 68 sea turtles that's no joke i mean i don't think it was all at the same time but that's still no joke to bring them to that to bring them to the facility to have them i rehabbed though that's those aren't little you know snapper turtles you pick up in a local brook no i'm sure some of them are quite large especially being sea turtles yep they have a manatee rehabilitation center there as well it's one of the largest in the world nurses distressed manatees back to health and releases them back into the wild. It has one of the largest man-made roofs. It's home to over 4,000 animals covering, covering over 60 different species. The pavilion itself is accredited AZA, the American Zoological Aquariums. In addition to merely being as accredited, the Aquarium's Conservation Fund provides grants and funding to other accredited institutions to support nature play and learning. 
Yeah, so Jay, if I can jump in there real quick. It, so we all done we'd all done some research on this topic, and I, and I found that point particularly interesting. Up here, as you guys know, Andrew and myself, we're in Rhode Island, Connecticut's the next state over. We have the Mystic Aquarium, which is a fantastic little, and I don't say it's little, but we have a fantastic aquarium in Boston as well, right up the street. Boston and, and Mystic both have them. They're all AZA. So when we say that they're supporting nature play and learning, so it's not just, you know, oh, giving money to build things or, or you know, for research. I mean, this is for animal interaction. And, and you see a lot of things in the news, Blackfish in particular and SeaWorld gets crushed on a regular basis for some of their practices. I think kind of unfairly. Yeah. People people do give Disney a hard time about both of these parks, about Living Seas and about Animal Kingdom. For PETA's all over them for certain things. I, I don't want to make it seem like everything they do is right. But this is one of those things that it's a separate conservation fund from the general conservation fund. And it, it does provide grants and funding for that specific purpose. Jay read that right. I mean, that's nature play and learning to support health in the wild. It's not just to keep them in captivity. And I think that's a big misnomer with a lot of people. And it's not, but it is. But this, this fund that does provide the grants does support uh, releasing back into the wild and, and to develop uh, natural instincts in these animals. So it, it is trying, they are trying to do the right thing. It's a very sensitive subject with certain, with certain people I understand, but they are giving it their best shot. All right. We're moving on to one of your favorite places, Ryan, the yes. land. <laughs> There's, Love they it. have a two point, square foot facility that is dedicated to our inter interaction with the land itself it expresses how humans can both use the land for our benefit and how we can destroy the delicate balance of nature itself by de by deforestation and such over forty-three thousand square feet of the pavilion is dedicated to experimental horticulture techniques including including hydroponics irrigation an integrated pest management control. Yeah, I think we can just reference people back to episode two when uh -huh. uh, Andrew and myself had a battle about the land. We all know how I feel about the land. We know how Andrew feels about the land. I think Jay falls somewhere in the middle. Um, mm -hmm. But again, the pavilion itself, I, I don't want to rehash it because I don't want to get Andrew going and, and we still have some more to cover tonight. Listen, but... all I'm going to say at the end of the day, it's it's a lot of space. What they do, it's Earth Day. I'm gonna give a nice side of myself. It, it's it's very good what they do. It, like we right. talked about. It, I think, and then again, I'm not bashing what they do. Right, I'm right. bashing how it's interacted with with your audience or your your viewers or your your. Right. I, right. I just disagree I, with it. I'm right. not bashing what the, what the land is. Ultimately, on a on a conversation about conver about conservation. We certainly would be remiss if we didn't bring it up and at least, again, just touch on it quickly about what they do at that facility. But again, please reference episode two. There's a pretty epic battle about the land on that episode, and we think you might enjoy it. 
Moving on, we have a couple of small points to make as well concerning the resorts at Disney. A lot of the resorts are moving from plastic plates and silver or paper plates and plastic silver or silverware. They're actually moving to glass plates and metal silverware and just having you kind of dump the food off the plates and they will take and wash the plates themselves rather than have all the trash that comes from that. They're, a lot of them are moving to that. I think it started at Art of Animation was one of the first places they started that and it's kind of moving out into the other resorts as well now. Now, does this, uh, does this, um, is this the reason that my food seem more expensive at the food court in December? That's a good possibility. <laughs> they also have the option to out, uh, opt out of the daily servicing of the rooms to include allowing you to use the same towel more than one day. Um, another thing they've got is they've been switching, they've been refurbing a lot of the rooms. And in doing so, they've been adding in the shower heads that are a little bit water, more water efficient into these areas. They don't use quite as much, but they've got a little bit more pressure in there. Yep. And one thing I wanted to add to the daily services of room. So, yes, you can opt out of the mousekeeping services. Um, and if you do do that, I think they offer you a small gift card. They um, do. Um, but that they do require to still do a room check. So, yeah. so though you might, safety thing. It makes sense. Absolutely. So just, just so everyone knows, if you opt out of that, it doesn't mean if you're there for seven days that you're not going to have anybody coming in your room. You will have people knocking on your door, and if you don't answer, they will let themselves in, and they will check that room in case you're not holding anybody hostage or anything. Um, sure. Or laying on the floor. But um, or, also, or if you happen to win a bunch of tickets at the arcade and hang chili pepper lights from one corner of the room to the other, <laughs> and you want a boombox, I... I don't know if this has ever happened to anyone, but I, I think it sounds like something that's plausible. Huh. Well, well, I also <laughs> heard that in 2020, they'll be getting rid of all toilet paper and moving to bidets. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I late late April Fool's <laughs> show, I guess. Uh, all right, Jay, what else you got for us? All right, so we got a couple of little fun facts here to mention before we move on to the random house of mouse. So Cinderella's castle during Christmas is lit up with over 170,000 LED bulbs. But because they are LED and a little bit more energy efficient, all those bulbs is only equal to about four coffee makers worth of power. That is absolutely insane. The benches of the animal kingdom are made from recycled plastic. The quote-unquote brown napkins they have no bleach used in them, which is why they're brown and are used in the production of uh, that are normally used in the production of paper products. The paper straws, which are currently being used at Animal Kingdom, are coming um, and are coming to all the parks in the near future. No lids, soft drinks as far as the hazards for the animals. This is something that I think initially started as a law they were going to be doing in California and Disney just kind of carried it over to all their parks in general. It's something that they just figured, you know what? We may as well just do it. If we're doing it to one, we may as well do it to all. Yeah, I think they just completed the transition in Paris. I, I was reading. I, yes. I think they just completed it in Paris, and then they expect it to take a, a, probably a little longer here to phase it out completely, but um, that is the plan. Agreed. Uh, good. So that's, that's going to wrap up this segment. And um, I think we had a lot of good info there. Hopefully it wasn't too much. We tried to make it fun and exciting, um, but we really wanted to share all that with you. So, so we're going to continue the con con uh, conservation 
piece and move into the random house of mouse. All right, thanks, Ruth. Thanks, Jay. Like we said, to this point, it's been very entertaining. It's it's uh, been a nice conversation about conservation. We're gonna keep it going here in the Random House of Mouse. Before we get into what we want to talk about, though, we would be remiss in our duties to not mention Wally as perhaps the pinnacle of of conservation movies that Disney's ever released or Pixar has ever released. Uh, by all means, if you've never seen it, which seems shocking to me. Get out there and see it. It post-consumerism, maybe you know, anti-consumerism at times. But get out there, check it out. Um, it, it's a, it's a great, great film. Um, but so that leads me to tell you that this week at the Random House of Mouse, we're going to discuss our favorite Disney nature films. That could be from the Disney nature arm. It could be the uh, True Life Adventure series we talked about earlier, or perhaps uh, an animated feature that somebody wants to try to convince me is about anti-poaching. I don't know. <laughs> we're we're going to try it. We're going to see how it goes. Uh, we do think, though, that all of these features, and I kid, uh, we do think that all of them have a good, solid conservation message in regards to our spaceship Earth. I see what you did if, there. If I had a mic, <laughs> I would have dropped it, but I don't. I, I'm only on a wired headphone here. So, um, Walt, Disney, <laughs> Walt Disney once said that Despite their countless numbers, few people ever glimpse more than the commonest breed of birds and beasts. And nature, if we may speak of her as a universal intelligence, jealously guards her secret activities. When I read that, I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead with that in here because I really feel, and I think I may speak for the three of us, that, that Walt's trying to tell you to get out there. Uh, adventure is out there. <clears throat> see what I did there again if you're willing to seek it out and while these are our favorite picks for for nature films or conservation films we do think you should get out there and not even just Disney stuff check out Disney nature Netflix has a series on right now get out there and check out anything if what we've talked about today has moved you or, or given you an inclination to care about something greater than yourself um so, so my pick for this, uh, I'm going to the Disney Nature series. This was a, uh, boy, I think it was released in Holland first. I'm not positive on where it was released first. We got it in the States as Wings of Life. Uh, that shows that our future depends on an amazing love story between the flora and fauna. Specifically, refer- referencing bees and birds and bats <clears throat> and, excuse me, and their need of pollen and nectar to help facilitate uh, the, the production of plants and, and grasses and, and, and everything else that, that helps us live on this planet. <clears throat> oh, thank you. Excuse me. Uh, delicate and graceful, uh, the flowers that we refer to uh, are not content to be the ultimate symbol of beauty. Instead, that their vibrant colors and their exotic flavors are designed to attract bees and butterflies and birds and bats. And that's what Wings of Life really, really impresses upon you, is the symbiotic relationship between bees and butterflies and birds and bats and, and, and the flowers that they do, uh, that they do pollinate with. Um, 
I really feel like Wings of Life does present the unsung heroes of the global food chain for us. Um, it does drive home the delicate balance that we share with bees. Um, <coughs> excuse me. That's pretty much all that I have here um, yeah, so, for that. So, so, Bob, when I saw this as your pick, the first thing I did is, well, I need to go look up this film that you know my, my, my buddy here is going to be talking about. So I looked it up and I said, the first thing I saw was the essential balance of the planet. And that really <laughs> me. And I stopped for a minute and I thought about it, you know, essential balance of the planet. So again, people don't realize how important these pollinators and um, insects and bees, things that we all hate, actually are so essential to our to our balance. And without them, I hate to say it, Earth really truly doesn't exist. It, it would right. it would literally fall apart and, and melt down. Um, without this crazy little thing that we call pollination. Um, yeah. so it, it's crazy to think about. Oh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, so with that, um, I had to go out there and I had to take my pick. I said, well, geez, what, what the hell am I going to pick? So I wanted to pick something I was familiar with. So I looked and I decided to go with Pocahontas. Um, Pocahontas is obviously, we all know the story. Um, Initially, it received very mixed reviews because of it's actually very inaccurate. Um, and I'm not going to get into the inaccuracies of it, but... Um, that, that's a history lesson for another but day. But essentially, the right. conservation of it, you know, you're looking at, you know, Pocahontas and her tribe living off the land, trying to teach, um, you know, these newcomers, essentially, um, the good of the land and, and how to benefit it. You don't just abuse it and use it. Um, you got to really, you know, you 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 got to, if you take some, you got to give some, right? It, it's a two-way street. So um, so with that, I, I had a few things. I, I wrote down some notes, um, I, 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 a lot of cool things. So a few things I want to just throw out there about the movie. I know it might not be directly conservation, but I wanted to try to make some conversation flow. So my question for, for Bob and you, Jason, who do you pick for your favorite, Percy or Miko? I think I'd have to go with Miko. Okay. I, I mean, I can't that's actually a question. Well, funny because I, I actually would go Percy. Oh, that's um, a shock. I, I like Percy. And if you guys don't know, Percy's the little dog to the governor. Miko's the raccoon. Uh, Pocahontas's friend. And then you have Flip, but uh, I didn't even include Flip the Hummingbird because if you put those two together, I feel like it's no contest. Uh-huh, you're being a little flippant there. <laughs> So uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about is Pocahontas is a pretty badass chick. Uh, right when the movie's introduced, you see her friggin' free jumping off of waterfalls, doing her canoeing. She's swinging from branches. She's pretty, pretty, pretty badass chick. Um, I can't believe that. I can't believe that you enjoy the fact that she's in a canoe because we know how much you hate water reds. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I guess it's okay if Pocahontas does it. So back to the boat. <laughs> the next one I had, and I had to look this up because I wanted to know. So for all those Game of Thrones fans out there, which I know there's a lot, too sucked. No, you're out of your mind. That's a whole okay. other podcast. Go on. Did. That's a yeah. We'll start another Game of Thrones podcast after this. So <laughs> Grandma Willow, to me, is essentially the same thing as the weirwood tree from Game of Thrones. Right? They both have faces. Um, they both you go to to seek knowledge essentially um so i said well shit which one came first right i wanted to know so 
if you look, Grandma Willow, Pocahontas film came out, I believe it was 9 to 12 months before the first Game of Thrones books. They both came out, I believe uh, Pocahontas came out in 95. I believe the first Game of Thrones book came out in 96, um, which is crazy when you think about it. I mean, that it's that old of a, of a series. Yes, it is. Um, but based off of George R.R. R. Martin's track record, he probably took eight years to wrote that, write that book. So who came first? I don't know. Um, but then I see Jason had to throw another third curveball in here and introduce the great Dutu tree from uh, all the Legend of Zelda series. So essentially another tree that has a face that you go to for knowledge. So I don't know what's up these trees that have knowledge, but if you ever found one in the wild, I'd love to seek it out. I don't know how you talk about trees and knowledge and don't reference the Ents from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes. Well, valid point and one of my great series. But um, I don't know. Those are the three that all stuck out. Well, two. Anyways, next thing I wanted to point out is I was watching the movie and I said, this movie is brutal. Um, it says the word savages 46 times. And no, I didn't count. I had to look it up because I thought it was crazy that they keep saying it. But yeah, they, they reference. Um, it was a different times. It was. And there's a lot of other references, too, that I didn't get into. But they use the word savages 46 times, which I thought was crazy. How many times in the song savages? I was going to say that. <laughs> I mean, because they have a song called Savages, so I, I really... Are you including that number? I Okay, that's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, that's fun fact is, two of them, um, for those that don't know, Christian Bale um, is in it as Thomas, who is the fellow that John Smith saves in the beginning when he goes overboard, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he's kind of his buddy that ends up... Um, I don't want to spoil it for you, but you know who he is. Uh, the next one is Mel Gibson. Is John Smith himself uh, another one that you know not everyone knows is is who, who those two characters are actual voice in them? Um, and the last thing is we Hold all hold on know, a second. You're going to reference those two guys and not reference the fact that David Allen Ogden Steers is the voice of Governor Ratcliffe because you know what other character he did in the early '90s <laughs> for Disney? Yep. Yep. You know? Do you know what other character he did? I'm um, lay the knowledge on me. Ogsworth from Beauty and the Beast. That's right. That's right. You disappoint me. I'm very disappointed in you right now. I'm not into the actors. That's why I had to write this stuff down. I just I don't focus on that. Um, the last bullet point that is the obvious is the music. The music is literally what held this movie together. When it came out and there was so much criticism, so much inaccuracy, the only reason this movie kept going and won awards and all of this was because of the music. And I'll be honest, I didn't want the music to stop. Every time you see the song coming, you get your foot tapping, the kids are dancing. I, the music is phenomenal in this movie. It truly is. So, um, Well, the score was written by the legendary Alan Menken. We don't need to go into what he's yep. done. Yep. And the, the, the songs are written by Stephen Schwartz, yep. one of the great uh, Broadway stylist songwriters of the 20th century i mean so i i mean you have a heavyweight team writing the music in fact if the music wasn't that good you'd have been disappointed knowing what you know now about who wrote the music i agree and what is not disappointing is the music in the next film that we're going to be talking about because the musician is one of my personal favorites oh god here <laughs> we jason, go jason why don't you lay it on us yeah please right. so my pick was tarzan and the Jay, if I can, theme guys, we, 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 when we started talking this topic, 
Jay immediately referenced Tarzan. This isn't something he's pulling out of his hat. He <laughs> was on Tarzan from day one of us talking about conservation. So just so you understand that this is a passion project for him. <laughs> well, the, the main thing I saw in terms of conservation with this movie was the overarching anti-poaching theme they had. So just, you know, as a, as a frame of reference, if you don't know, the term poaching is defined as the illegal hunting or capturing of wild animals typically associated with land rights and who owns the or the right to that land and whether or not you got permission to even hunt on that land in the first place. So what we see here is Clayton, who you can tell he's kind of a skeevy guy in the beginning. And what he's done is actually tricked Jane and her father, who are very interested in the gorillas, to take him out there and, quote unquote, show him the gorillas. You can tell that he's kind of got his eye on wanting to, you know, hunt and bag one of these guys and take him out, uh, put him on his mantle when he comes back. But he's just kind of giving them the idea that he wants more information on them. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, wait, are we really talking about animals? Yes, animals are just as important to the, the ecosystem as anything else out there. The the plants and stuff, they are they are important, but the animals play just as big a role and have just as much importance in conservation as anything else. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Another thing I really like about this movie is the music. I was never a huge Phil Collins fan. But I was. I'm telling you, the, the music in this movie is just absolutely outstanding between son of man you've got um you'll be in my heart the tearing down the campsite every song is just an absolute hit and you love it from beginning to end in fact this movie got an academy award for you'll be in my heart for best song for that year phil collins has an academy award how about that <laughs> There were actually quite a bit of changes in this movie from script to screen. And, and when I say script, I really mean the original book, Tarzan. Because this story has been told over and over by so many different people, so many different ways. They, for the most part, kept it fairly close until towards the end of the book. The, the end of the book shows Tarzan going back to England to kind of see the ways of the the normal people that he's not been associated with all of his life when they were actually trying uh, the or writing out the script for this they decided that they didn't like the idea of Tarzan going back because of the fact that he was so protective over his family being the gorillas they wanted him to stay in the forest so that he could actually you know stay close to that family the only family he's really known and I will say that this is a very heavy story that they had to actually have a rewrite towards the end to bring more humor into it because they thought it was just too heavy. And yeah, I mean, it is, it's a pretty heavy movie, Jay. I agree with you. Even even still, it's still kind of kind of intense. It really is. Yeah. And especially, it's if I'm not mistaken, the the death scene with Clayton is seen as one of the most violent deaths in any Disney movie. It is. It is. 
the last thing that I want to talk about with this movie is this was actually critically acclaimed because of its use of CGI integration. They actually pioneered a technique where they were able to use CGI and it looked much, much more like animation, almost kind of similar to what you would see in a cell shaded video game. But the way they did it was it, it was mainly used for the backgrounds to make it look cartoony while yet still being CGI to where it was made a little bit easier for them. And it, it was, it was something that they ended up using quite a few times after this. Yeah, Jerry, I talk about the cast. They assembled quite a talented group. Uh, yeah, Glenn Close and Minnie Driver, Rosie O'Donnell, Wayne Knight, uh, Tony Goldwyn uh, from Ghosts and Last Samurai there. I mean, it's, it's a good cast. It's a real good cast, too, for that film. Um, so one thing Dizzy does well, music, obviously, and, and casting, the voice talents, really, really well done. And you've convinced me that Tarzan is apparently a conservation movie. I'll look at it differently next time I watch it. <laughs> Um, so I, guys, if that's all we have for, you know, our picks for, for conservation movies, I want to go right into community questions here. Um, we had three dropped on us at the very last minute. Um, but guys, we're going to do our best to answer them the best we can. Uh, Tyler card, new friend of the show. He asks, what is the most underrated animated Disney movie of the nineties in your opinion? Jay, I want to start with you. I'm going to go with a goofy movie. Okay. It really brought Goofy back into the limelight where he had kind of been pushed back to the side for a while and okay. at the same time brought in his son. It was yeah. just a phenomenal movie and it showed a lot of growth in both Goofy and Max in the way that you have your typical teenage relationship with their fa- their parents in general and how they were ap- actually able to cultivate that relationship into a friendship. I, I agree, Jason. I I that's a great movie. I love that movie, and you're right. It, it's under the spotlight, and uh, there's just so many other movies that year. Those years, that's the problem. Yeah. I'm actually a big fan of Powerline. Yes. Absolutely. I have the tour shirt, Powerline 94. Love it. It's great. My One of my favorites. got the same shirt. Yep. Uh, Drew, what did you get from the 90s in terms so, of underrated films? So, so underrated movies in the 90s, and you guys can hate me, but I'm going to do this really, really quickly. So, Tyler, you asked a, a difficult question, and I'm going to hear you tell you why. I'm going to quickly name the movies that came out in the 90s. Um, DuckTales, the movie, The Restaurant is Down Under, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Lion King, A Goofy Movie, Pocahontas, Toy Story, James and the Giant Peach, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, A Bud's Life, Dud's First Movie, Tarzan, and Toy Story 2. So you asked me, what is an underrated movie? There's no underrated movies there. They're all phenomenal movies. Um, but if I had to pick one, it's not underrated, but I'm going to say Toy Story 2. And the reason why I'm saying it is, is I feel like it gets overshadowed um, by Toy Story 1. Um, they came out in the same decade, uh, really only five years apart, four years apart. Um, and for me, Toy Story 2 is actually my favorite Toy Story, which is odd. A lot of people don't like that one. Um, but I think it introduced a lot of characters and it really developed a lot of the other, you know, kind of like the B characters into more of uh, the A characters that really established the, the whole franchise, in my opinion. So. so you would say it's just more underappreciated than underrated. Right. Yeah, yeah it, it, yes, yes. I mean, I, I don't think there's many underrated films. If you look at all those reviews of all those films, there's none really that were, you know, 
underrated. They all made a lot of money. <laughs> they all got great reviews. Yeah, right. Tyler, again, Andrew makes a valid point that the 90s were tough to say <laughs> a movie was underrated. Because uh, even for the most part, movies that maybe weren't rated as highly as others probably deserved the rating they got. So I don't want to say they were underrated. I went with the with the Rescuers Down Under simply because I feel like the Rescuers franchise as a whole gets overlooked, and I think Rescuers Down Under gets overlooked for being sandwiched between the iconic, there's that word again, Little <laughs> Mermaid, and the legendary Beauty and the Beast. So you yeah. almost forget that the Rescuers Down Under existed in the 90s. Um, but, again, fun little movie. I don't know that it's groundbreaking in any way. I will say... The, the scene with Cody and Marahute at the beginning when they're flying on the Golden Eagle is breathtaking for yeah. early 90s animation, what they were able to do. Uh, underrated, I don't know. I think, like Andrew's Toy Story 2 is underappreciated. I think maybe Rescuers Down Under is more underappreciated than underrated because I, I think it's rated right where it needs to be. I think from an appreciation standpoint, if that's the question you would ask, it'd be underappreciated more than it would be underrated. Agreed. Uh, Eric Pichet has a very vague question. <laughs> Any info on Disney cruises? Before I turn it over to Jay, I will say it is our plan to do a full episode on the Disney cruise line. Um, and I, I mean, I, it's a tough question to answer in a quick format. So I would just I'm going to turn it over to Jay and see what he can do in the 90 seconds we give him. So these guys, I don't think they've done any Disney cruises that I know of. I guess you could technically call me the uh, the expert for this little group that we've got. I've, we've been on about six Disney cruises. We just completed our Grand Slam, which within the the frequent cruisers, that just means that we've been on each of the four ships at least once. So there are four ships in the fleet. There's the Magic, the Wonder, the Dream, and the Fantasy. The Magic and Wonder being the smaller of the two, the four ships. The Dream and the Fantasy being the larger. Now, Jack, they are sister ships. That way, the Dream yeah. and Fantasy are sister ships, and the Wonder and Magic are, are sister ships, I believe. Correct? That's correct. Okay. Pers my personal favorite is the Dream, but... We won't get a whole lot into that. It, it it all depends on what you're looking to do. Like you said, we've got plans to do a an episode on the Disney Cruise Line later on. So, I mean, like you said, this is a very, very vague question, but we'll get a little more on, in depth. It's, it, it's kind of hard to describe in 90 seconds, but it's certainly something we're going to look into because they, I will say, I've only been on Disney, but my mom went on a carnival cruise about six months after our first Disney cruise, and she said there's absolutely no comparison whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, it, it's Disney. They, they clearly do things well. Uh, Jay, I, I have gone on the Disney cruise line once. I've been on the Disney Dream, okay, and I, I will say that it was a great experience for me. Um, I would ask Eric again if he wants to reach out to UJ specifically yep. with dates and when he's going and, and what his itinerary looks like and what ship he's on. We might advise him to do that. Uh, he can email us at the Disney Guys Uncensored. Sure. Um, and and I, we'll reach out to him. We got him answers. Yep. Uh, and, and, but again, 
I agree. My, my, my only thing I'll say is I have been on the wonder. Um, if you're looking, two things I'll say is Disney does an amazing job at separating uh, the different types of accommodations that people are looking for, right? So when I went, it was just me and my wife. Disney does an amazing job at separating an entire cruise into three categories. You have your family sections, you have your kids section, and you have your adults-only section. So, for right. example, when my wife and I went, um, people say, oh, you guys are going on a Disney cruise? You're crazy. There's going to be kids running around. No, that's not true. Um, no. We had our own dedicated pool to adults only. So you're on a Disney cruise experience what you love about Disney, and you have your own adults only section. It's actually the most private you'll probably get on any cruise line as far as adults only um, yes. in that type of atmosphere where you don't have the big party goers, um, and it's great. Now, if you're looking at it from a cost perspective, all I'm going to say is is that <laughs> you could go to Walt Disney you World. You, for, you do get what you pay for. Um, it's probably going to be at least double, if not triple, of any other cruise line. And it yes. is definitely probably going to be almost double the price of actually going to Walt Disney World. So you've got to look at what you want and what you want to get for your money. Um, it is very expensive for what you're getting, but it's Disney and it will be one of the most amazing times of your life. And, and I'll yes. leave it at that. Yeah, I just we will talk about Castaway Key on a later episode, but that almost yes. is worth the price of admission to me. Yep. Absolutely. And unlike a lot of the other uh, cruise lines, because they do actually physically own the island, they were able to get an actual dock. And, and I know that uh, I think Royal Caribbean maybe crew. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I had a total brain fart there. Um, Carnival. Um, they actually put you on a boat that takes you to their island. Disney docks right at the island and you embark off just like you're at any other station. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I will say that they um, have announced there's three more ships coming and possibly another island. So yep, keep that, that on your radar as well. Yes. Uh, Chris Chamberlain asks a very loaded question. You guys didn't make it easy on us this week. I'll be <laughs> honest. Guys, what are your thoughts on Disney's donating $5 million to restore Notre Dame Cathedral? We got this question very late in the in the process, but we're going to do our best to answer it in the most diplomatic way possible. Um, you could make a case that the animated feature made over $300 million in box office receipts, not including merchandise, okay? But we do promise you that Disney doesn't have a VHS case in a vault somewhere that has the money the movie made back, Okay. Again, we don't want to beat it to death, I, I don't think. Uh, you did mention crises closer to home on the Facebook query. Um, the, the Flint, Michigan water crisis stuck out to me as one that I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think we have a tendency to, I don't want to say demonize corporations or expect corporations to fund restoration projects. And are there better ways for Disney to spend $5 million than giving it to Notre Dame Cathedral? Probably. I, the answer is yes, because so, so, the me... Notre Dame Cathedral is going to get rebuilt, probably by French billionaires. It, it's going to get done. Okay. But, but it, I want to I piggyback off of that, because what I saw over the internet was kind of astonishing to me that everyone expects Disney to do something right well disney right. made a movie off of it well 
hold on a second. What happened was, you know, was a tragedy, and luckily no one got hurt, right? But let's talk about for a second, Disney is a worldwide recognized company. Anywhere in the world, you say the word Disney, people know what it is, right? True. It doesn't mean they're a business. They're, They're making money. They're a business. It doesn't mean that they are expected or feel pressured to go do something. They work hard for their money. And I'm not saying what, you know, what they did was awesome, but the expectation of them doing it is what bothers me. People All just right. expect things and, and, and it doesn't mean that they have to do it or they don't so, have to do it. So that's fair. And I think, I think we might actually have some points to back up what we're saying here because Disney as a company is recognized as one of the most charitable companies in the world. Again, a lot of people say, well, they make more than enough money, so they should be doing it. And Andrew's absolutely right. They still have to make money, okay? They can't just, they're not a charity foundation. They have charitable arms. They have the conservation fund. That They've got a philanthropic website you can visit and get all the information from. But these are some staggering stats that I pulled answering this question that you don't necessarily always hear about the charitable work that they do. But, but here it is. They donate over $400 million every year to various organizations. Now, you, you referenced Flint, Michigan. What's to say they haven't donated money there? I, I didn't, I, again, I didn't look it up in depth enough to say that they donated X amount of dollars to various things. But they would be condemned if they announced every time they donated money. And I sure. feel like people are willing to condemn them when we don't know what they're doing. Agreed. And, and, and it's not fair to the company, and it's not fair to, to human beings. It's not fair to, to you guys that are making that argument, because to sit there and say that, and like Andrew said, you expect Disney to do it. They are doing it. They are. $400 million to various organizations. In the last five years, they've donated over 23 million books to children's literacy, literacy programs. Okay, To me, there's nothing more important than literacy and, and reading to children and getting books in the hands of kids, especially with how technology is now when you have a computer on your wrist, okay? Uh, the, the, the characters that they have, Mickey and Minnie specifically, they're on pace to volunteer over 5 million hours at children's hospitals and intensive service facilities over the, over the next three years, okay? That's a staggering amount of time that they are, and I, they are releasing their characters to, to do this. But I want you to think about Make-A-Wish is another one that they're huge with, that they just, I, I, a co-worker of mine, I'm not going to mention his name, was just down there earlier this month, and, and he said they took such care of him and his wife and his, and his little girl that was fighting cancer, and, and thank God she's better now and it's clear and everything's good. It's disingenuous to sit here and bury a company when they don't announce what they do. And then in the next breath, if they were to tell you, well, we granted a million wishes this year and we did this, you would crush them for wanting credit for it. So it's very disingenuous. And I'm Chris, I'm not saying you're like this. I'm just saying it's disingenuous of certain people on the internet. Everybody can be a keyboard warrior and say, Disney has plenty of money. They should give a billion dollars. I think they do more than enough on their end. Agreed. We we would we would have you reference uh, the, phil- the the philanthropy uh, the philanthropy page, 
at thewaltdisneycompany.com. That's where you want to go check it out. Everything's there. It tells you what they do in, in broad strokes. And, and that's where I would send you, Chris, to, to look it up if you wanted more instances of what they've done. Yep, agreed. Um, and, th- and thanks, Bob. And thanks, thanks for the you three to um, give us those questions. You know, we love you know, interacting with you guys in the community. And we ask that you guys always, always keep asking these questions. It makes it fun. It makes it excitement. Uh, I'm sorry, excited. And it, it gives us that little extra flair that helps us uh, with, you know, questions that we don't think about. So it gives us topics to talk about that maybe we wouldn't have even thought of, you know. We, we talked hard about the Notre Dame Cathedral and talking about it. Um, and we didn't know what to do about it last week, so we really didn't bring it up. And now that Chris brought it up, it kind of it didn't. I don't want to say forced us, but I'm glad. I'm glad it came up. Um, so that's that's good stuff. Keep that coming. So before that we go on, I was yeah. talking about uh, interacting with the community. We were putting our feelers out on Reddit earlier this week, and I just wanted to spend a, send a special shout out to Isaac, who responded to our Reddit post and actually joined our Facebook community. I just wanted to put a special thank you out there for the feedback that you gave us, gave us. And we really appreciate you and your wife listening. And we w- hope you listen more and you continue to enjoy it. Uh, agreed. And that, that, yeah. That's great stuff to hear. Um, and all the feedback we've been hearing is absolutely awesome and positive And it motivates us and wants us to keep going and come up with fresh new ideas. And I think we have a lot of new, fresh ideas coming up that we're excited to bring to you, just like this episode that we did. So I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Conservation Conversation. Um, and if you have any feedback, questions, or comment, again, we ask you to please email us at the Disney Guys Uncensored at gmail.com. Um, or if you're interested, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, we have almost 110 members now. It's continuing to grow, continuing to, to have that awesome family feel that we encourage you guys to post pictures, post questions, comments, polls, the whole nine yards. Um, so that's on Facebook. Search under the groups for the Disney Guys Uncensored. Again, that's the open community. Um, the podcast can pretty much be found on every platform now. Um, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, you name it. It's, 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 it's out there. You can find us. Um, if you truly love us, what I ask is a few things. Please tell a friend. Share this info that you know that we created and, and tell them how, you know, we're, how we interact with you guys. Um, if you could really go out there and give us a rating, um, or even better, a review. That will help us get more attention and more listeners to create this bigger community. Um, again, if you want to support us at the, for the Disney Guys, we ask you to go over to patreon.com slash the Disney Guys Uncensored. Again, Patreon is an area where you could give us a dollar, two dollars, up to thirty dollars a month to help support us. Um, it allows us to do you know even more magical things with, with you guys and interaction with you guys. So we're looking forward to hopefully see you there. Um, the last thing... Rather than our typical outro this week, we want to share some of our favorite fun Disney moments celebrating Earth Day. So definitely stay tuned for the end of this. We put together about a two-minute clip that we're really excited. It's really fun. It's really catchy. I guarantee you'll get one of these songs stuck in your head tomorrow all day, and you'll be cursing us because I have some stuck in my head. And the last thing I want to leave you with is a quote from Angie Renner, who is the Environmental Integration Director at Walt Disney World. And she says... Here at Disney, every day is Earth Day. So we hope you enjoyed our conservation conversation. And thank you for listening to The Disney Guys, Uncensored. The Earth is just a dead thing you can claim. 
But I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. Listen to the land we all love. Nature's plan will shine upon. Listen to the land. Forget about your worries and your strife. Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things around you. What more is you looking for? Under the sea, under the sea. Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. A light in darkness, breathing hope of new life. Now I live through you and you through me, enchanting. 